is Tribe and Bias again, and we're back with you. And if you've been here before, you know what it's still all about. The Sports Bag Bros podcast is back on the scene. This is our Friday. This is Thursday. And there's more sports to talk about in this episode number 19. And as usual, we know why you're here. You clicked on the thumbnail. And on that thumbnail, it said a perfect game, something like that. But Domingo Herman of the New York Yankees threw the 24th perfect game of the MLB history, or any MLB history, regardless, it still happened. The fourth <laughs> in Yankee history, so of course, the most historic team in all of baseball, one of the most historic franchises on the planet, has their fourth perfect game. I'm Trav, he's biased, we're going to get down to it, but bias, speak to the people. Quickly. Hey, what's up, YouTube, Spotify, uh, iHeart, Apple Podcasts, uh, everybody, whoever is listening and watching, we appreciate it. Uh, get word out, share with your friends. We want to grow our followers and get some interaction. Um, hey, what can you say about Herman's performance? You know, perfect game is, is nothing to uh, sneeze at. Uh, although it was against the A's, but 27 up, 27 down is a dominant performance. And when you look at it, it's crazy because he gave up 10 runs to the Mariners or, or maybe more than 10 runs. I don't know the exact amount, but his last out and he got rocked. Yes, and, his last two outings. Well, I didn't go that far back, but um, you mentioned four Yankee perfect games uh, and something he has in common with David Wells is they are the only two pitchers to throw perfect games with ERAs with the five or higher. And just so happens they both did it with the Yankees. Exactly. And I remember both times, and I remember the following year, David Cohn did the same, throwing a perfect game in 1999. Boomer, David Wells, threw his in 1998. So now the Yankees, it seems like if you're going to be a Yankees pitcher, your, your name may want to start with a D because all four perfect <laughs> games have come with players whose names started with a D. You have Don Larson. We already know about that, 1956, throwing the perfect game in the World Series. And then we had David Wells throwing the perfect game. And then David Cohn throwing the perfect game. So along with those Ds, you might want to become a David as well. And now not even from this country, Domingo Herman doing it. The honors yesterday, 27 up, 27 down. And as you mentioned before this, he looked pretty bad. In fact, two starts in a row, I think he gave up 15 runs in total. But it all came right yesterday. It all came together. Yes, it's the athletics. Yes, they have a lot of dissension on the team in the organization. They may be leaving. But these are still major league players. And one thing in particular I'd like to see, because there was about 12,000 people in the stadium yesterday. We've already spoken about in previous episodes the issues that the athletics are having with their organization and the fans. They're going back and forth. We know what it's all about. But everyone was waiting for this perfect game to end. The A's fans and Yankee fans <laughs> alike who were there present. And I like that about baseball. When there's something like that going on, it seems like everybody is happy about it when it finally happens. I mean, you might not like the result from the losing team if it's at home, but the entire crowd, they just like being part of history. Exactly. You know, when you're when you're watching something historic, you can only appreciate it. And, you know, the fans get usually get involved. And when the, the baseball gods decide to, to uh, grace somebody, you know, it's hard to beat. Philip Humber. You may not have never have heard of him, but he threw a, a, per, uh, 
a perfect game for the White Sox. But that's about all he ever did. He, I don't remember him being on the team more than a few years, and he definitely wasn't dominant, but he threw a perfect game. Yeah, and sometimes in baseball or sports, period, you get those people who come out and become these phenomenal players, even for a moment in time or even a whole series. I mean, Roger Maris wasn't a special player, but he did set the home run record. He did beat Babe Ruth's record, but and he's known from that for that till this day. But as far as a major league player, not necessarily nondescript, but definitely not one of those players in the annals of the major leagues outside of what he had done in that one year. So that does happen, you know, that one day the, the guys get together and they decide to grace that one person, no more <laughs> not. And for that day, they're just hot. And since 2012, we hadn't seen anything like that since Felix Hernandez. Right. And, and, and now we have social media. And you go on social media, a place where, forget it, people get to hide behind their screens and keyboards and say what the hell they want, regardless of how good or bad things are. There's always going to be that person. Guess what? Yesterday, I didn't see that person. Everybody seemed to have been happy with what just happened with Domingo Herman. And, you know, that's a good thing, not just from being a Yankee fan, a lifelong, unapologetic Yankee fan as I am, but everybody <clears throat> seems like they were on the bandwagon of just being a part of history. There were some people who claimed that they were at the game and they were part of, a part of history. But you know what? More than, not too much more than 12,000 people Got to show that ticket stub. Exactly. Because there's going to be a whole bunch of stories. Before you know it, we're going to have a million-man sellout of everybody who was at that game witnessing history. Right. And it's just kind of odd because when I went to bed, um, I knew that he had a perfect game going, but I didn't. I went to bed before the game ended. And, you know, we have the Twitter account and the Facebook page and I always do on this day in sports history. And I looked up uh, what went down on June 29th in sports history. And Dave Stewart threw a no-hitter and Fernando Valenzuela threw a no-hitter on the same day. Um, in Obviously the same day, same year. Yeah. And that had never happened before, one in each league. But for, for that to almost fall on the same day as, as two no-hitters, no and if the game ended after midnight on the East Coast, then it did fall on the same day. Yeah, that's true. A good point as well. And as far as Venezuela, uh, Fernando Venezuela and Dave Stewart, that probably will never happen again, just like Don Larson's perfect game in the World Series when you typically get <clears throat> the two best teams in baseball. That's probably not going to happen anymore or anytime soon at all. I mean, it hasn't happened all these years. But, yeah, I, you know, it's, like, it's always good. When yeah, you, not like – Oh, I, I love it. You know, I'm saying it's the, not likely that it happens again. Oh, you like that it happened? I'm saying that it is not likely. Oh, that oh no, not likely. Oh, yeah, definitely not likely to happen. That's certainly the case. You know, you know, anything can happen, but probability and possibility, we go back to that scenario. But Herman yesterday got his moment in the sun. You know, if you really go back to yesterday's show and I spoke about the Yankees, I wasn't very happy with this guy. I mean, and you know what? In a text message I sent a friend of mine, I was calling him New York's trash man. And this guy comes out and does that. You know, and I, and I was looking at it from a different perspective, not because of his recent production or lack thereof. It was the incident back in 2019 with the domestic battery and all that kind of thing. 
I've been on top of that kind of thing. But you know what? Put that aside for now. It's still a part of his past. Let's look forward to the future, or at least right now, while everybody is glorifying what's going on with him doing what he had did yesterday, you know, done yesterday. I don't want to be like Malika Andrews trying to tear people down, <laughs> you know, get in their moment and want to tear them down. That's just not what's going to happen here. So give right. the guy credit where credit's due. Now, what happens with the Yankees? I don't want to make this a Yankees broadcast, but they have not been playing well with the huge payroll as usual, even though the Mets are more. The Yankees haven't produced. So far, they haven't had any fall off from yesterday. They were up, I believe, uh, 13 to 4 or 10 to 4 when I last checked. And they're winning this game too, but it's still the athletics. Right. Well, if you look at their schedule heading into the all-star break, you know, they, they have a chance to do some damage, but that they have that uh, Orioles uh, series coming up. And being four and a half games back, that's an important series for them to try and make up some ground. So if they're going to uh, get hot, now would be the time. Yep. The whole uh, AL East is always tough. And this year in particular, when right at this moment, there isn't a team that's under 500 so far. And it's the only division in all of baseball where that scenario stands. And the Yankees are going to have a hell of a go at it in terms of the injuries that they've been having and constant injuries. And then the plays that you do have out there, they're not productive. Right now, the bats opened up yesterday. They got 11 runs, double-digit runs again today. I mean, I don't want to be a Yankee shill. I'm still going to be a Yankee fan. But in all fairness, so what against the athletics? You know, you still have the Rays, which have been a thorn in the Yankees' butt for years, not just this year. Even when the Yankees were decidedly better, it was always the Rays that stuck a thorn in their butt and brought them back to reality. And as you mentioned, Baltimore, another one of those teams, that's a surprising team, not just in the AL East, but in baseball period. And this series opening up, you know, for the weekend, the Yankees are going to have to do something to keep it going. Or not this weekend, but they're coming up. Right. So taking care of business against the A's was pretty much absolutely necessary. And they're going to have to take care of business when they go up against the Orioles as well. Yeah. After the embarrassing loss to the A's the day before, two to one. (laughs) I mean, come on, man. This is the team that just is not any good in terms of major league standards. It was the Athletics and then were the Kansas City Royals. And we saw the two worst teams, but then the Athletics decided to pull ahead as the bad team. And that's where they've been, and the Yankees managed to lose to them. And that brings me to somewhat of what's going on with the AL Central, where there isn't anyone who's over 500. And I believe that the Minnesota Twins, who are 40 and 42, are the leaders of that division. What's going on? And It's actually the Guardians now. Well, the Guardians now? See, they beat the Minnesota Twins and got to that point. So this, either <clears> way, you know, you're striving to get to 500. Your division, everyone's under. 500. Um, they're two games under 500. And is, is it all about payroll when it comes to these teams, or is it mismanagement on the player level, mismanagement in the executive level, or just I don't know, tough playing conference? I don't know. It's just not working out for anybody there, but someone has to win it eventually, and this is before the right. break. Well, speaking of the Twins, they traded a rise. The best yeah, hitter. Yeah. Bad management. That didn't make sense to me at the time. I, I spoke on that on, on past yeah. episodes. So, you know, they, they lost a very good hitter there. Um, I think it's just players not performing up to expected levels. 
I mean, we're talking American Central, and that speaks directly to the White Sox. Tim Anderson, you know, he won a batting title a few years ago. He's batting 230 now. Uh, the White Sox have all kinds of problems. Pitchers aren't pitching, given the, the they're not performing up to expected levels. Um, Michael Kopech seems like he's taking the step back. Lance Lynn looked looked for a while like he was going to be like Dallas Keiko and need to get DFA'd. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, all those teams have flaws. Uh, we'll see if any of them get hot. Right now, the Guardians are on top, but, you know, they have uh, division games coming up, and whoever plays best will probably come out on top. So as far as salary goes, you know, we're in an age where the bigger markets are just spending ridiculous amounts of money, and we've seen it, and we've spoken about the Mets doing the same thing. They leave the major leagues this year with so um, just absurd amounts of money, and they're not getting results. I mean, they're under 500. Last time we checked, I believe it was four games, under six games under 500, and the Braves aren't cooling off anytime soon, and the Braves have always been a thorn in their side as well. But is it the payroll because – Looking back on it, the Rays out of 30 teams, they're number 28, and they're in first place. I've always admired their management, admired their their executives to have the eye to find the talent, whether it's in the farm system or cherry-picking what they can because they don't have the money to go out and get the big names, but they're getting results, and they've been doing it for years with a low, ba- a low budget. Right. All you can do is respect them. The the unfortunate thing is they develop all these players, and then when it's come when it comes time for that player to get paid, they always lose out because mm-hmm. they're not going to give out the three hundred million dollar contracts, you know, like the like the Red Sox, Yankees, and San Diego and Dodgers do. So and San Diego surprisingly is in the mix because they typically didn't spend that kind of money either, even when right? McDonald's owned them. But you know, <laughs> it's a different era right now. Yeah, so the the Rays they they have to develop as many players as they can because they have to keep replacing everybody every four or five four or five years. I feel bad, and if anybody, you know what? If anyone is really smart, why don't you go after their executives? Go after their scouts. Take those instead of just waiting for these players to come around every four or five years. And going back to the AL Central, yeah, being a Chicago White Sox fan, well, they're the ones with the bigger payroll, and as you said, not getting results but they have the bigger payroll because in chicago you have the ability to have a larger payroll and try to make things work and they're just not working so it probably isn't just payroll it's management it's injuries it's players just not doing their end of the bargain right well here the white Sox have a a larger issue they have an older owner who refuses to pay pitchers uh or give out contracts for more than three years you know, the largest contract he's ever given out was to uh, Ben Attendee for $80 million. Now, think about that. $80 million, uh, a big market team yeah. franchise has never given out a $100 million contract. You have superstars getting $300 million, $400 yep. million. And so he he's operating his team. So... He's not allocating money to to where it needs to go. Their farm system is a wreck. Um, they they have a lot of issues. You know, they, I I would love for a sell the team campaign to get started. <laughs> and you know, these guys never want to sell the team, regardless of how old they are. 
regardless of how badly the team is doing, they're not going to sell the team. It's an ego thing with these wealthy, wealthy people. It's more of an ego thing. He might have a couple of weeks left to live and he's not going to let go of the team. We've seen that story so often. Unless someone is forced to sell a team or there's a rule in place that that holds these owners responsible for the teams that are losing, which I can't see a law or rule that can come into place that's going to force that, you know, you're just going to have to deal with it until someone comes in new blood wise and changes things around. But who has that time? If you're one of these fans, you don't have a lifetime to go ahead and do that. And that's one team who doesn't have to worry about that right now. The Atlanta Braves, the hottest team in baseball right now. And right now the best team in the major leagues, even though they do not have the best record. I mean, nine and one in the last 10 games, 13 and one in the last 14 games, the best player in baseball, perhaps with Ronald Okuda, they're ready to roll. I mean, in the first half of the season, unequivocally the best team. Yeah, Acuna, he's having an amazing year. He's on pace to hit 40 home runs and still 80 bases. Yeah. I don't think that's ever been done. 40, 80. Yeah. Um, it's an incredible year. Yeah, I, I still say Otani's the best player in the game, but yeah, I mean, yeah. can't take anything away from Acuna. Um, but the Braves have a tough stretch coming up. They have the Marlins. So if the Marlins are going to make a challenge, this is their chance to gain some ground. Then they play the Guardians. They're they're 500 or so, but they're first place team. So, you know, they're going to be competitive. And then they have the Rays. And then we'll find out who the real best baseball team is. And after we've been talking about the AL Central, I think a lot of these teams outside of the AL Central, especially in the AL East or NL East, they're really chomping at the bit to get at these teams and try to get their wins together or get back on track if your team is kind of going in disarray right now. I think that's the cure to your disarray would be playing one of these AL Central teams at the moment. But as far as the Marlins do go, you know, are they real or are they not? I think we could say there's something to it. There's a lot to be to like about this Marlins team. And there's a lot to be optimistic about even after this All-Star break that this may be a long-standing thing. You know, with the young, the youth they have on this team, and I think, um, you know, the, the fans are finally into it. But these are Miami fans, you know, they're a lot like Atlanta fans. They don't show up as, the way they should. But the team, they're holding together. A lot of young players, and as you said, with a rise, he's he's a young player, but he's not a rookie. He could be one of the leaders of the team as well. Definitely, I think if a rise continues to hit, they're they're going to be a problem because he's going to be on base mm-hmm. and they're going to score runs. So if he goes in the tank and has a terrible slump, then that could lead to their entire team slumping also. Yeah. So, see. I, don't, I don't believe it's a coincidence that they're having this success as he's doing well and as some of the other rookies are doing well. In fact, throughout baseball period, I'm not surprised that the – well, I'm surprised at the result, but I'm not surprised looking at it now that these teams that are having success that we didn't think going into the season would have success have a bunch of young players, rookies included, that are helping out. And we talked about it yesterday with Ellie De La Cruz with the Cincinnati Reds, who aren't supposed to be here right now, but probably a lot to do with a rookie really pushing them through. Right. Uh, isn't that who the Yankees get next? What, the Cincinnati Reds? Yeah. Oh, no, they just finished playing the Braves. Never mind. Okay. So, regardless, <laughs> I mean, baseball's in good hands. Like, oh, no. Oh, no. This is <laughs> yeah. true. You know, just let's not stop this run that we have in this two games. It looks like we're winning now because I believe 
this game may be over against the athletics. So let's see about that. So, um, you know, based with the all-star bakers coming up uh, so far, I mean, the biggest name in the home run derby, Vladimir Guerrero, Guerrero Jr. is in the home run derby. Is that a good or bad thing? Has it overstayed its long welcome? I don't know. As I've gotten older, I've lost interest. Yes. Even in like slam dunks, like all-star weekend or all-star games. They're just, they're not what they used to be to me. Um, I, and I can't really explain it, but I, I think for fans who are, who enjoy home runs, like to see that it, it's fun, especially when you get somebody out there who gets hot and they, you might only expect them to hit eight or nine home runs and they hit 18 or 20, you know, people go, Ooh, ah, it's a big deal. You know, it's fun, especially for the kids. So yeah, I think it's good. Yeah, I know some of the bigger name players don't really get in it the way I believe they need to in order to help those younger players appreciate it more, or even the older players who might just want to see a named player. That's probably why it's been going down of late. You know, you get some guys, Peter Lazo a few years ago was in it, and then you had Aaron Judge who was in it. In fact, he won it, but look what happened. He hurt his swing and then hurt himself, and then the end of his the season, the back half of that season just wasn't good for him. And I don't think he'll go into another one, especially now that he has this big contract and the toe issue. I think he's not going to try to hurt himself with anything that's exhibition anymore outside of uh, games in the preseason. You just can't talk about Judge and not mention the toe, can you? Bro, that toe's a problem. And he's not back. You know what I mean? He couldn't be part hey, of You were it. talking about Judge in the past. He didn't have a toe issue in the past. Well, you know, Judge is the captain. And along with being the captain comes a responsibility. The responsibility is... Yankee fans are going to always say something about you. Good, bad, indifferent. You're going to get it some way or another. We still love the guy. He's our person to deal with. It's for people on the outside not to really say badly, bad things about him. So, Aaron Judge, get well soon. We've sent you several cards already, including baseball cards, and that gives us the right to move on to other sports that's going on. And the gift that keeps on giving, the NBA still giving us something, even though the championship game is two weeks removed. Here we go. Talking about the NBA, free agency starting on Friday at 6 p.m., storyline swirling, people wanting to go to other teams. Now new things are coming up that we weren't really thinking about before. You know some of those things, Bias. What's up with that? So word is Harden's going to uh, exercise his player option and try to work out a trade with Philly. If I'm Philly, I'm all for it. Get the hell out of my town, man. Yep. You are not reliable. When the chips are down, you know where to be found. Yes, take take your option and we'll ship you out of town. Now, where where does he go? I hear there's talk the Clippers may want him. I honestly don't know why any contender would want him, but, hey, that's another story. Well, you said you don't know why any contender would want him. That's probably why the Knicks want him too because <laughs> along with the Clippers, the Knicks are interested in him. I'm wondering – does he really want to come back to New York? You know what? You know, Brooklyn's a nice city or a nice borough, and New York as a whole is not all like Brooklyn. Going to the Knicks is a lot different than playing for the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, those fans, if you thought fans were upset with him when he played with Brooklyn, forget about it if he comes to MSG and those whiny fans that whine and complain and never are happy start getting on his case, especially after just scoring nine points when he was needed most in the latest playoff game. 
Yeah, I don't know if he could take the pressure of New York. Uh, I, if I was his agent, I would advise him against that. Oh, absolutely. I would advise him against that. But, you know, and the, the, it's not even about money because, first of all, he's not in a position to get an extension because he already signed the two-year extension, so he can't do anything until 2024. So that's why he exercised his option. And I just – if he goes to the Clippers, it doesn't make them too much more, you know, a better contender than they are right now. If he goes to the Knicks, I don't know. I'm not going to call him a mental midget, but this mental midget would not survive with the Knicks either. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I, think, I think New York would eat him up. Yeah, by by the All Star break, he'd be trying to force another trade. He's he's not reliable, dependable, whatever word you want to use. When it comes down to it, he he's going to come up small. And the other guy that used to be with him, they used to be compadres in Brooklyn, Kyrie Irving. Um, I'm not going to call him a cancer, you know, but he's looking to go to another team. Um, well, I don't know if he's really looking to go to another team or is he just checking out his options? Because right now, I mean, he's in Dallas, he's in, but he's going to be looking at the Phoenix Suns. I mean, how does that supposed to work out? I have no idea. How are they going to pay him? Is he going to take? You're going to take a really small contract to go to Phoenix? Um, I mean, Kyrie's a different guy. Maybe yeah. money doesn't matter to him. Maybe he will take a small contract you know, just to go where he wants to be. If money did not matter, for sure he would do something like that. But I think even the cerebral uh, Kyrie Irving would want to get paid and get his market value at the very least. He probably wouldn't want to break the bank. But he'll break their bank because they're already tight as it is if he were to go I over there. I think that's just talk. I can't see any way that he could fit over there. There's just nothing they can do unless there's a trade. And I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, they've already, at least on paper, committed to what they have have right now with that high salary. Who do the Suns have to trade? They're going to trade. The only two that they could trade are are Payne and and Aiden. Which one or, or both? get traded and then you get Kyrie now you have four players you see you got four players and even less space <laughs> and even less space to get reserves and build a team well I don't know how this is going right now but we'll find out for sure tomorrow. Like Kyrie to Phoenix I, I don't see that happening Kyrie to where Phoenix nah yeah no. I don't know man and, and I, I can't get in his head but you know who knows if he's thinking hey I got my championship Hey, you know, I, I I just want to go be happy somewhere. If that's the case, he'll go wherever he wants to go, I guess. If that is the case, he's been had his championship. And if you think about it, he's been playing the way you said he, that you just mentioned. It looks like he has been nonchalant <laughs> the past couple of years. He doesn't want to play, but I understand why he didn't want to play when all of the COVID you know, stuff was going on. He chose not to take the shot and along with a whole bunch of other people. And, you know, that was his right. And it, it was the NBA's right to say, you know what, we won't let you play if you don't do it. Or in the cities in which he had gone to that had rules in place, they weren't going to let him do it. But anyways, you know, Kyrie Irving going to which team or another, does he put any team over the hump in a in a perfect world? Does he put any team over the hump anyway? It depends on the team. If he goes to Miami, now they have a, a guy who can close 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 games. Does he get them over the hump past Milwaukee, Boston, and potentially Denver? I don't see Denver, but I, I, I see them. They could come out of the East, but I don't think 
uh, Kyrie's a Pat Riley guy. So I don't think so either. With the way, you know what? Now that I think about it, I don't know because Pat Riley was good with Anthony Mason, who was a, a, a different kind of guy too off the court. You know, and you know they had this relationship. In fact, to a point to when before Anthony Mason died, he wanted to speak to Pat Riley. You know, crazy, like pretty much on his deathbed. So maybe he has that connection with these types of players. Now, Kyrie's a little bit more cerebral, I guess, if you wanted to look at it. Anthony Mason wasn't looked at cerebral. He could have been, but he wasn't looked at. But nevertheless, the Jimmy Butler effect, you're talking about a guy who's been to different teams and the attitude might have been the issue. Bringing him to a locker room with Jimmy Butler, would that be somewhat of an issue? I mean, we don't really know, but we can speculate. Right. Potentially, it could be an issue. Jimmy's bumped heads with other guys in the past, <laughs> and and if uh, Kyrie's not acting a certain way, Jimmy's probably going to voice his opinion. So, yeah, I don't think that's a good fit. But as far as contenders go, I, I think on the court, he could do a lot for them. Oh yeah, he will. I mean, he can. I mean, he, talent. It's not like his his talent is dwindling. You know what I mean? I remember when AI. His talent started dwindling. We kind of saw how his talent was dwindling. You know, when he went to uh, Denver, we saw the talent dwindling. And then uh, Memphis and then up there in Detroit, but he couldn't even get off the bench. So we saw the talent dwindling. And I don't think we see that with Kyrie Irving. I mean, he does get injured, but he's been doing that before. So it's not like he's doing something out of the ordinary. And we'll find out for sure once the free agency starts at 6 p.m. tomorrow. 6 p.m. tomorrow, which is Friday, the NBA free agency. We'll get to hear all the news, the hoopla, and everything else. And we'll talk about it on Monday in episode 20, so make sure you catch us then. And one thing that we can really talk about now is that the NFL getting closer and closer. Next week, this time, when we come back, we'll be in July, the month in which NFL camps will be starting. No longer mini camps. We're talking real camps. We're talking about the NFL football season on the way at the end of July. And with that being said, some of the news comes out immediately. The Colts had players who were caught gambling on the premises. Unemployment line. On, on, they got rid of them. They took all of these apologies in the early going, but when these punishments were doled out, the NFL did their thing with Roger Goodell saying this is what's going to happen with these players for the entire season. And the Colts took it upon themselves to say, we don't want any of these guys on our team. And, you know, Isaiah Rogers was, was someone we had spoken about before when it came down to this. But there were also other players on the team as well, like Rashad Berry and Demetri Taylor. Mm-hmm. Demetri Taylor, who was a free agent anyway. But they're yeah, gone. That's, that's the reality of uh, contracts in the NFL. Most are not guaranteed. If they, if, they are have, if they are guaranteed, only some of the money is guaranteed. So, you know, players can get cut left and right if, if a franchise chooses and coach decided to sever ties with these guys. And now they need to find other teams. Now, is this a case of getting on your soapbox because you can do it right now? This is a perfect opportunity. If Jonathan Taylor's part of that, does he just take the suspension? They live with it. Or does he get caught as cut as well? Obviously I think the reason you know, the answer is he doesn't get cut. They're just making an example of people who are expendable and that's what they're doing. Right. Yeah. They're like, these guys are suspended. They're not going to be any help to us. Well, let's just cut them, get rid of them, replace them. Yeah, and when you talk about the Colts and they're in the AFC South, well, you have the team that right now seems like the top of the AFC South with a young team led by Trevor Lawrence. 
the Jacksonville Jaguars, and their left tackle, the guy who is supposed to protect Trevor Lawrence, Cam Robinson, he's out for the first four games because of PEDs. PEDs. This is a guy who's been now often injured. He hasn't been that reliable. He hasn't developed as he was supposed to, at least in their eyes, coming out of Alabama. And he just signed a big contract just what, last year, I believe. And now he's not playing in the first four games. He's throwing a monkey wrench into what the Jaguars are trying to build. Yeah. Miss, missing your uh, your quarterback's protector for four games, a uh, third of the season, that, that's going to hurt. Mm-hmm. They have to protect uh, Lawrence, keep him healthy, keep him upright. And now that could be an issue. Yeah. And, you know, and the offensive line was a problem before, but they kind of fixed it a bit. And I think that is the reason why Lawrence had such an excellent uh, season last year. I mean, he can only do better, you would hope. But how much better now if you have your leading left tackle, you know, gone, the guy who's supposed to protect your blind side. And per collective bargaining agreement, because of him getting suspended, all of his future bonuses or remaining bonuses are now null and void. So he's he's taking a pinch in the pocket as well. And yeah, it, that's, it hurts. that's going to hurt. Yeah. And I'm sure players across the league are taking notice. So hopefully uh, we won't see too many more of these. But, you know, you know we were saying that about the gambling uh, in our early episodes also. Yeah. But you know what? Do Are they really going to take notice? As soon as we think that something couldn't get more ridiculous and so obvious that if you've done this, things are going to happen. And then we hear about it either immediately or sometime down the line, that thing still happens. That PED, this isn't the first PED story we've heard. Players have been doing it for years and the next one has get, gotten caught. And now we're talking about you know, the gambling just as well. You know, a, mul- a multitude of players have been caught gambling. And if it's just because you're on the premises, that means they're all doing it on the premises. You know, <laughs> even though they can just go across the street and they're still refusing to do it. They just don't understand something. And I've always believed that. I know there's no scientific proof, but it seems like the more athletic you are, you got to be deficient somewhere else. You can guess where that deficiency is. <laughs> Come on, get real. And that's what's going on right now. So, yeah, the NFL season coming up next month. Training camps next month, pretty much in a couple of days. Training camp coming up. You'll get to hear about your favorite teams along with our favorite teams, you being a Chicago Bears fan, myself being a New York Jets fan. I like the Giants as well. I understand the, the Jets are the JV of the New York area when it comes to football. Buffalo's in Canada, but we, we claim to win their winning. But nevertheless, <laughs> that's, what's gonna, that's how it's going to be with this show as we move on throughout the entire time we're doing this podcast. And make sure you join us as we do it. Because we get into other sports as well. And one of those sports we get into is something that we had spoken about yesterday. The sweet science. The sport of pugilism. And that's boxing. And in that area, fathers should not be in their son's corner or shouldn't be their son's trainer. According to Hall of Famer, newly chromed Hall of Famer, Tim Bradley. What are your thoughts on this, Bias? Yeah, I wasn't sure. I... I only saw uh, the quote, but I didn't see his reasoning why. So I can only speculate. Sometimes fathers will try to live vicariously through their children. Yes. If, that, if that's the case, then I can see it being a problem. But if the father's level-headed and you know has his best interest or his child's best interest in mind, 
you know, he's going to first be the first one to stop the fight. Or he's going to be the first one to tell tell his son, hey, you don't have it no more. It's time to retire. Or let's go do something else. So it all depends on the father, in my opinion. Well, you know, we've covered boxing and have been around boxing literally for decades between us. I mean, a lot of decades. I mean, up close, personal, and everything in between. And there aren't a lot of people with solid minds in boxing in terms of these fathers. Come on, a lot of these guys are just circus clowns that have their opportunity to be trainers. And we've seen this so many times before. Now, there are some father-son uh, tandems that work well together. Felix Trinidad's the first one that comes to mind with his father. I mean, that was as good a connection you were going to have between father and son. Um, Shane Mosley, until he started losing, was also that kind of guy with his father. But then you have uh, Ruben Guerrero, guys like that, Tio's father, guys like that, that just make things a little bit – Angel Garcia. You know, hey, he just got out a list of fathers and sons living vicariously and just saying anything, jeopardizing the son. From one stand, you can say, yes, they will be the ones to stop the fight and they won't allow, allow the kids to get pummeled like a regular trainer may do or may not do. But being able to say what you want to say because you did not hit your glory days, either because of a lack of talent or because you had an accident or whatnot and couldn't get there, kind of like Ray Mancini's father, even though he wasn't that kind of guy. I mean, you, you give your son a bad look, and then it gets contentious, like T.O. and his father. It's contentious between those two. <laughs> yeah. He said he wants them banned. He doesn't want any father-son combinations. Yep. With all of the problems in boxing, I think there's a, a list we could get, go through before we get to father-son combinations. If we're talking about fixing things or banning oh, things. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. So I, I don't see it as that big of a deal. I don't know why he decided to speak on it. Obviously, he either saw or heard something that triggered these thoughts. But I don't think it's it's a problem where we need to get people together and be like, okay, we got to ban this. Yeah. I, I don't think it's necessary. But you've heard Tim Bradley, and you've heard his analysis on boxing and things he just says. You know, sometimes when he speaks, I think about the Provodnikov fight, and something's going on upstairs because he's not thinking clearly. That Provodnikov fight has him thinking on another level, and it's not exactly in the best interest of common sense. But I do understand, and I can see where he's coming from with this, Because, but I've heard enough of Tim Bradley. But I can see where he's coming from with this, but in, like you said, as this should be a forefront issue, now I think this is something along a whole bunch of issues, a long laundry list of issues that can be talked about. If you have issues from 1 to 100, this will be 98. Yeah, but I mean, who doesn't like seeing Angel Garcia argue with Zab Judah or, you know, throw insults at this guy and this dad throwing insults at that fighter and back and forth. I mean, it adds to the drama. It, it makes things more, more entertaining. Yeah. I don't, you know, it doesn't even have to be a father. It, it could be Leonard Ellerby. You know, he's not Floyd's dad. He's not Tank's dad, but I, I just, I just don't see a problem there. I don't. You know, I, I see how it could be a problem. But, you know, I'm not – that's not on a larger list of pressing issues in boxing. Boxing has way too many issues from top to bottom. I mean, if, if we're talking about fathers not protecting their sons, where's the mom? Where's the wife? You, well, where, where's the promoter? Where the promoters should say, hey, I, you, you don't have it no more. I mean, if we're, if we're going to be real, there's a lot of people who can say, you should not be fighting anymore. 
or hey, stop this fight, ref. He's getting his ass beat. Stop the fight, doctor. Yeah. Go stop the fight. So you know what I'm saying? It, it shouldn't fall just on one person. Well, we've seen Jen Mosley <laughs> and how she handles business. Now she did things outside of the ring, so it wasn't like she embarrassed him in the ring or put him in jeopardy of any way. And like give that. that man his belts back. Well, that too, and that's outside of the ring. She's. I don't know, he's still seething. She made him get all of these tattoos in this midlife crisis thing he ran through. But nevertheless, yeah, you know, I still don't, don't think it's a pressing need, but it was something that needed to be talked about because a Hall of Fame commentator slash boxer brought it up. And, you know, it, I don't know about compelling, but it's something to be said. We yeah. might have to talk about that. You just mentioned Hall of Fame. Have the standards been lowered? Yes. Because, well, I know they have been lowered, but I'm saying that should be a... a Discussion we have. <laughs> that's part of the list of things that we need to talk about. That you in football, Donald Curry in boxing. Come on. Yeah, that's insane. And, and sticking with the boxing theme, and we can pretty much run with it. Deontay Wilder, someone we spoke about yesterday going against the legends of boxing, and Andy Ruiz <laughs> trying to negotiate a fight between the two for this December if it's a, going to be a fight at all. And they're going back and forth. Deontay Wilder's acting like Andy Ruiz is scared. I know from Andy Ruiz isn't upset or scared, but offering him 70-30, that's 60-40 is where they need to be. But then on the Ruiz side, they're talking 50-50. I don't believe that's good either. Yeah, I, I can kind of see both sides, but I, I, I go with Wilder on this one. Yeah. Uh, to his point, he said Ruiz was champ for a blink of an eye. I mean, he didn't, even defend, he didn't even defend the title once. He lost the rematch. So, you know, Andy Ruiz can say, hey, I'm I'm, I'm a former champ. Well, yes, but Wilder makes a point. You were you were not a champ for very long. So <laughs> 50, 50, no. But as you mentioned, 60-40, maybe 65-35. Um, I don't know. We'll we'll see, but that, that I, I, I don't I don't think it's a competitive fight anyway. So it's, you know, in, it's in Andy's in, best interest not to fight him. You know, you know, Andy wants to fight. I, I can see that, and I think it might be because of the bag. You know, Deontay Wilder is the one who puts the butts in the seats. He brings the casuals out because, as I mentioned yesterday, casuals love knockouts. So if they don't know a fighter, but they hear the knockout record, they're gonna show up. He's not that everyone that he has a loss to, except for one person. You know, so, you know, and, and that was, what, uh, Stavern the first time? So we're talking about a guy who puts the butts in seats when everybody's so caught up on statistics these days, impressive-looking statistics, even if there isn't any context involved or not as much context involved. You know, but Deontay Wilder, 70-30, oh, man, I can see 60-40. I mean, give the, it's not even a respect thing. I think he deserves 40%. It's not even respect. I think fair market value, 40%, uh, 60-40. Well, you know, it's negotiating. If you come in 60-40, they're going to try and bring you down. So why not start 70-30? Yeah. Well, I'm thinking that's where it should settle. If he's saying 70-30 now, let's settle on 60-40, get this fight right. together, get Ruiz out of there, and so we can watch Anthony Joshua follow suit by getting knocked out by Wilder. Otani just went yard. Who? Otani. Oh. But bottom of the ninth. Is this a story of our lives? Every time we're doing something, talking about this guy's hit one out of the park or striking someone out, and it doesn't matter what time of the game it is. 
Luckily for the White Sox, they're up nine. They were up nine five. It's now nine seven. Two outs in the ninth. That's they intentionally sense. walked him earlier, but he got a hold of one, a change up, straightaway center field, pretty much. It's probably like his fourth home run of the three game series. This guy just, hey, you know what? I, and I almost still feel guilty about not thinking it was a big hey, deal that he's pitching and hitting the ball. Let, let me let me mention, uh, he got Louis Robert out four times the other night when yeah. he was pitching. And then Robert went yard yesterday, hit a double. So Robert's feasting on Angels pitching, just not on not on Otani. And luckily he only could come out one time every five days. <laughs> and he might be doing something different than that if he keeps it up. You know, but, you know, if they want to keep him healthy, keep the regular rotation going. And that brings us finally to our last issue today. It's not even an issue. It's a topic. So let's talk about that Nebraska football. Yes. Yeah. It's college football. Yes. It's recruiting. And we want to talk about it right now before we close it out. Yeah, they <clears throat> they got another um, another top prospect out of Texas, uh, three-star defense alignment, Colin Jones. And, you know, three star out of Texas, there's only a couple other states that have uh, uh, the, the talent pool that Texas has, Florida and California. So three star from Texas, like a five star from Wyoming or whatever. Anyway, <laughs> they, uh, they, I believe uh, that's their fourth or fifth recruit from Texas. So Matt Rule's doing his thing. He's got Nebraska in the top 10 now. They're actually number nine. Um, also, the quarterback recruit, Daniel Kalen, he was bumped up to four stars after his uh, Elite 11 performance. So, like I mentioned the other day, things are looking good down in Lincoln, Nebraska. Very interesting. You typically wouldn't get an invite to the Elite 11 being a three-star three quarterback. Bro, if you can help those stars and go up and impress them that much, you know what? Those kinds of quarterbacks haven't been seen a lot in Nebraska because, of course, you know, they're coming off of being an option team. Then, I mean, what was it, Taylor Martinez? That Oh, my God, the guy was there. He got his doctorate or something because he was there for like 10 years. But <laughs> seriously, but Nebraska, Matt Rule, throwing out the old Nebraska playbook because he's bringing in more modernized football and it looks like someone can throw the ball forward and they're getting receivers. Now we got a tight end, the highest-ranked player coming out of Nebraska, now playing for Nebraska. That's going to be something to look forward to, but we're going to be getting into a lot of recruiting as the season goes on. College football begins next month as well with their media days. That goes along with the NFL starting their training camp. So there's so much more to talk, and we'll be continuing to talk baseball going up into the All-Star break. And thereafter, the NBA going into free agency tomorrow, 6 p.m. So on Monday on episode number 20, you're going to get a chance to see what we're talking about on here, what we're going to be talking about, and we'll talk about everything else under the sun in the sports world. I'm Trav. He's biased. Thanks for joining us on the Sports Bro Podcast. <laughs> sports Back Bros Podcast. The weekend. It's the weekend. That's it. It's our weekend. So happy, happy weekend. Good weekend. Fourth of July next week. We'll make decisions next week, too, about what's going to happen on that day as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I know, right? We might have some fireworks on Tuesday. Maybe there might be some fireworks and sports we can talk about. But until <laughs> then, we'll catch you on episode 20 on Monday. See you. Peace.